I thought that, thanks be to God, was going to be just that week after the uh, persecution piece. Did you notice, were you listening to Israel's words? Well, we're going to be thinking about that. We'll say thanks be to God anyway. Uh, we have heard three powerful testimonies. Two of them about times of, of darkness in people's lives. Sandy Bruni, a diagnosis of a terminal illness. Uh, Dick Caston's uh, testimony that many of us share of, of just a limited uh, amount of financial resources. And then, of course, Tom Smith's, uh, what leads to so many of those problems is running away from God. Um, I think it sets the stage for what we're going to be talking about all, um, all fall here at Lake Avenue Church. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, we're going to be looking at where we can find light breaking into darkness. As I've thought about what I wanted to talk to you about this fall, the picture that came to my mind was my uncle Oscar. He was about the eighth uh, child in my mother's family. He was a coal miner back in West Virginia. In fact, he was one of those who uh, died in the famous uh, Mannington Mine Disasters in southern West Virginia in 1973. Uh, there were two big explosions in the mines there in Mannington, and over 400 people died, and he was one of them. Um, years before he died, uh, I used to stay with my uncles up in way back in the hills in West Virginia, and uh, he took me on a family day to visit the mines. So we went down into the first shaft of, of the uh, mine there, and he was a prankster. So he shut off all the lights. And I'm telling you, that is one dark place. It is the, it is the densest darkness that I can ever remember in my life. And when, when, you, when you lose one of your senses and the inability to be able to see, the others seem to come so much alive. Have you noticed that? So I'll never forget it. I was just a boy, but I still remember the smell of that uh, West Virginia soft bituminous coal. I, I still remember the dampness and, and the thickness of the air in, in, that, in that coal mine. I, I remember you get so disoriented that you just don't know where to go and you're a little bit afraid. And I remember feeling the walls and feeling the slickness of the, uh, the coal that, that was there behind me. I'm just going to tell you, I was absolutely terrified in the darkness. And then my Uncle Oscar took that miner's helmet. I think we have a picture of it here, one of them, and, and turned that thing on. And that miner's light on the helmet just would shine into the mine shaft. And I, I'll tell you, then, then you're able to see what is around you. And then you know where you're supposed to walk. I'll tell you, that's what came, that memory came back to my mind when I thought about the Sermon on the Mount. Because the Bible keeps describing for us that we have these times where we just feel like we're enveloped, engulfed by darkness, and that Jesus came to, to shine a light, as the light of the world, into this world, and to show us how we might be able to live. And the centerpiece of Jesus' teaching, perhaps the most influential part of this teaching found in the entire Bible, is what we're going to be studying this fall, at least a part of it. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. Our brothers and sisters who've gone on before us, our brothers and sisters all over the world, when they have walked through the darkest times in their lives, have turned to this text and found God guiding them. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in, in, in Germany when Nazism was rising, wondered how on earth do we live in a world like this? And he turned to this text, and out of that he wrote that classic book, The Cost of Discipleship. I'd encourage you to read it. And after the war was over, Reverend Helmut Thielicke would preach in the St. Mark's Church in Stuttgart, Germany. And already the people were humiliated because of the losses there uh, after World War II. And he got up and he would preach three years through the series that I'm just going to take a, a few months to look at 
Because he said to them, we have been following the wrong kingdom in this world. We have been following the wrong Führer in this world. We need a different ruler in our lives. The kingdom of God must be what guides us. And he took them through this in many of his sermons. have been put into a wonderful book entitled Life Can Begin Again. See, the way I read the Sermon on the Mount, it's about what, God ha- what happens when we allow Jesus to break in our lives and do the opposite of what Tom did. Instead of turning away from him, turning toward him. And when we turn toward Him, we begin to live lives as God created us to live life. And what does that life look like? The Bible keeps telling us it will look like the life of Jesus. And we say, but what does that look like? And if we look at it, we see much of it right here in the Sermon on the Mount. But what it looks like in our friendships, how we deal with people who make us angry, how how we speak to people, how we're to be faithful in our sexual purity, matter after matter after matter, when we wonder how do we live in a dark world? is what Jesus talks about. Now, as we just start, I just want to set the stage for the whole fall, so I hope you'll be here every week. Uh, I want you to see just briefly the, the place of this great, great sermon in the whole of the Bible story. Because the Bible tells us that ever since Genesis 3, people did exactly what Tom Smith did. We walked away from God. When people in Genesis 2 allowed God to rule their lives, they knew how to live. They were living well. The relationships were good. And you know what's happened. I've talked to you about it often. Genesis 3, they went their own ways. They didn't want to follow God's way. And darkness entered into the world and into their lives. So that what happened after that is that the world that we live in is not what it should be. There's all sorts of darkness in this world. Anybody else agree? All sorts of things just completely out of kilter in this world. And the Bible tells us it's because the wrong things are ruling. Just like Telica preached, we allow the wrong things to rule us. And when God calls us, we turn away from Him. And the three great rulers of the world that the Bible talks about is our own flesh. We don't want to follow God. We just want to do what we want to do. Because everybody's like that, the whole world becomes so self-centered. So the systems of this world... The patterns of this world that Paul, Paul talks about, the values, the things we see advertised, the way the West of the world tells us to live, they're not consistent with what God has said. So the enemies are, the, are, are our own flesh and the world systems. And then something that just isn't talked about very much in American churches is that there is a personal evil one in this world. Uh, Peter would say that prowls around trying to devour us. The enemies of this world are the flesh, the world, and the devil. And yet, in spite of the fact that all of us have engaged in things that are wrong and walked away from God and affected negatively the world, God loves us. You know that? God loves us. And from the earliest point on, God started having a plan. Uh, he's going, he said, I'm going to send a rescuer into this world. I'm going to send somebody into this world who is able to forgive you and begin to remake you so that you can live again. And so he he formed a people through whom the rescuer, the Messiah, was going to come. And even before he came, and you can read about it in Exodus uh, 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5, he he took Moses up onto a mountainside and he gave him the commands upon which all living is to be based. How we're to love God. How we're to love people. And so people knew how we're supposed to live with God ruling our lives. But you know the problem. Even though they can tell us how to live, Nobody had the strength to live that way. We needed help. And the Bible told us, yes, help is going to come. And the prophets would say, one is going to come who offers forgiveness of our past and gives us power to have the future to be different. Uh, The the prophet who talked about it the most was Isaiah. 
And there's a shocking part of his prophecy. This one that God would send, that God would be in and, and be through, is going to come born into this world as a child, even through a virgin. But when this child comes, a new rule, Helix has said, we need a different leader. We need a different ruler. A different rule would come. The government that would bring peace would be on his shoulders. And people who are walking in darkness, just like in that coal mine, would see a great light. The opportunity to live again would come to all who would follow the kingdom of this king, this Lord, who would be born as a child. When you look in Isaiah 61, you see it becoming so specific. When the ruler comes, when the ruler comes, uh, uh, God's favor would come into the world. Those who are poor would begin to know the sufficiency of God. Uh, Those who mourn will know that God could bring comfort to the worst that this world can throw. Those who are meek and care about others will be able to inherit the earth. That's what was promised. Now, with all that in mind, you got that, right? Anybody else? You still here with me? (laughs) Then one day, Jesus gathers his followers. Jesus, who had been born as a child, and born through a virgin. Jesus gathers his followers and he takes them up on a mountaintop. And just like on the top of a mountain, the way we're supposed to be living was given through Moses, Jesus starts saying, let me tell you again how God created us to live. It's been distorted since it was given. Repeatedly, if you look at the Sermon on the Mount, you'll say, you have heard other people say, this is how you're supposed to live, but I tell you, this is how God made us to live over and over and over again. And he says, now the time of freedom from the rule of the things in the past and the time of beginning to live again has come. And citing Isaiah 61, he would say, God's favor, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. They will know the rule of God. Blessed are those who mourn. They will know the comfort of God. And blessed are those who are meek as Jesus is meek. They will know that they inherit all that God had ever intended for us. Do you see what Jesus was saying? Everything this world was longing for. Everything that God has promised. The very love and freedom of God has come and it has come in me. That's what he is saying. And he's saying, turn to me and you will begin at last to live. When you turn to me, the the rule where you just can't break that pattern that you know has been devastating your life, that that, that rule will be broken and, and God's freedom and God's power will be known in and through you and everything will change. Uh, the way you treat your husband or your wife will change. Whenever you get mad at your enemy at work, that's got to change too. Everything is going to change because the rule of God is different from the rule of this world. So that's the place of this sermon in the Bible. It's perhaps the central teaching of Jesus about the way that you and I have been made to live. Now let me just say a second thing. I just need to tell you that this Sermon on the Mount, though it was preached a long time ago, is for us. Uh, You may say, especially if you're newer to church, well, well, of course it is. Uh, Jesus preached it. And if you read through the rest of the book of Matthew and you get to the end... Jesus would say to his disciples, now you've got to go into the whole world and you've got to declare the gospel and make disciples of all the nations. And when you do, one of the things you have to do is teach them everything I've commanded you. 
Well, where do we find what he commanded of us? The centerpiece of it is right here in the Sermon on the Mount. So it's just obvious this is a message for all people who follow Jesus at all times, all over the world. And yet, do you know that a lot of people say no? So I had to say something about that because some of you know that. Uh, some people say, and, and I think you can resonate with this, wait a minute, Pastor Greg, when you read what Jesus says in this sermon, who can live that way? I mean, it, it's so lofty. Can I just tell you a few of the things? Jesus in this sermon is going to tell us never to speak angry and destructive words about anyone. I mean about anyone, even those who irritate us. He tells us not only to be faithful in our marriage vows, he tells us not to have lust in our hearts. Oh man, he's starting to meddle there, isn't he? He's going to command us not just to love our neighbors, but to love our enemies too. And so in reading this, many, many people have said, nobody can live that way, so that must not be for us. That must be for some time later when Jesus comes back and he sets up a world where there is no sin. That, that's for them. That cannot be for us. And re- truthfully, people have said that in a variety of ways. Uh, the flip side of this is that there have been a group of people who have said, well, what Jesus is doing is he's telling us, yes, the way God made all people to live, so we've got to go out there and, you know, kind of in our own strength live that way. And that's how we gain God's approval. Well, what do you think about that? That just wears me out. It's absolutely hopeless. I can't do it. Nobody before Jesus could do it. And if we've got to go it in our own strength, nobody after Jesus is going to do it. And yet this is the way God made us to live. So how on earth do we read this great Sermon on the Mount? I tell you, I think Jesus is doing exactly what God did when, this, when the Ten Commandments were given. He is given to, giving to us a description of the way that human beings were made to live, reflecting the very image of God in us. We are fallen from that. So he's giving us the standard. What he's doing, business people, you know the principle that says begin now with the end in mind. He's showing us what that end is going to be once God is done with us. What I see Jesus doing is what I find all through the New Testament. He's putting out ahead of us what He is going to do once His work in us is complete. But He knows that there is going to be quite a journey of His working in our hearts and lives to get us from where we are to where we will be. We need forgiveness of our past. Anybody else need that? And we need remaking for our future. As I say so often, but Jesus did not give His life for our sin, to leave us in our sin. He gave His life for our sin so it could be forgiven, but He gives His Spirit to us and His Word to us and us to one another so that this kind of life can be lived. And if we ask, how does that life, how is that going to look? Jesus says, here it is in His Sermon on the Mount. So as I think about it through this fall, and I hope you come here often, I think it's going to be convicting. Man, oh man, as I've been reading this thing, I've been following Jesus for a long time. And I am not yet all that he is going to make me to be. So I think you're going to, I think you're going to find it to be challenging. Uh, you're going to look at it and like all people, you're going to say, that's beautiful what Jesus expects. Just think of our families if we live this way. Just, just think about the workplace would be like if all of us, we're going to look at that and know it's right. But the challenge is, becoming people who actually live that way. But I also pray it will be encouraging. It will be encouraging. Because I'll never forget, I don't think I'll have a single time where I won't take time to stop and remind us 
that God has said, those who enter into my kingdom and trust me through, through following Jesus, we will find forgiveness of sins. But those who find that, those who are justified, made right with God, I promise, I'm going to work in you until you are glorified. Until you are glorified. What does that look like? And Jesus says, right here, look at the Sermon on the Mount. This is the way you're going to look according to Jesus. Now today our, our time is just about gone, so can I just at least show you a few things here? I'm going to, so stick with me. I want to show you where it starts. Nothing beautiful will come out of the rest of this series <laughs> unless it starts right here. It, it starts in our inner beings. It starts in our inner beings. I just want us to look at the first three, what are called Beatitudes. God's favor comes to, blessed are those who, verses 3 through 5. I'll show it to you again. There are three of them. Where does it start, this beautiful life that we're going to be set free to live when the light breaks into the shaft? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. They shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, in reading it slowly like that, do you see how countercultural this is? Jesus' opening words in his sermon points us to look inside of ourselves and see three inner qualities of those who will know the blessing and approval of God. Who are they? Those who are poor and those who are mourn and those who are meek. If, if I were to write a book saying how to be poor, how to be sorrow-filled, and how to be meek, how many people in the world would buy it? You know that these are not the things that people in our world value. And yet here we are, the one who says, I'm going to tell you how to really live, and it's not going to happen until you start here. Look inside of yourselves, and these qualities is what must be a part of your inner being so that the life that you live in this world can reflect the very presence and glory of God. We'd better take a moment at least and look at them, don't you think? First, blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the rule of God in their lives. There's the kingdom of heaven. Matthew was Jewish, so he wouldn't want to use the word God in a public setting, so he would say the kingdom of heaven. But when God rules in your life rather than yourself or the world or the devil, we're going to be poor in spirit. Luke recorded a similar sermon that Jesus preached in Luke chapter 6, and there he simply said, blessed are the poor. And some people say, which one is it? You need to know that among the uh, Jewish people, and you know, Jesus was Jewish, you know, among them, uh, there wasn't much difference between poor and poor in spirit. If any of you ever had times of poverty in your life, I grew up in real poverty in West Virginia. And I'll just tell you, when you're poor, it means you don't have enough resources. It's just what it is. So you, you become dependent. You, you don't know, quite know how to pay your bills, how to survive, what's going to happen the next day financially. And so when we're poor in spirit, we just simply know we don't have resources. And so we look at what God expects of us in our lives. The one who is poor in spirit just knows, I don't have the resources to get there. It, it, it's the kind of thing that you come to church and you say, I know my life isn't what it should be. But I've worked really hard at this and I can't get there in my, on my own. It's, it's the one that draws us to Jesus that says, I need that rescuer that God promised. 
I need that Savior because I can't get there on my own. And it's that humility of spirit that makes us know that we are completely dependent upon God. And it's not a false humility. It's, it's not that A.A. A. Milne's uh, Winnie the Pooh story, you know, Eeyore the donkey. Woe is me, Pooh. Everybody else has everything. And I never get the victim. It's not that. There is this recognition of all the gifts that God has given us and the world that He has put us in. And we begin to recognize He has made us in His image and given us so much opportunity, but that we've walked our own way. And if we're going to become what God would have us to be and our lives are going to make the difference in the world that God would have them to make, we are utterly, utterly dependent upon the grace of God. That's where it starts. Now, Dick's testimony was so powerful. Until you get to the point of saying, I can't do this myself. God, you're calling us to do this and we can't do it ourselves. And we have a dependency on someone or something else. The humility to be able to find it, ask and receive will never be there. And when we get to that point, we say, Father, I've been trying to pretend that I can get there, that all is right but I'm not, and I need you. When that is what is happening inside of our beings, we are ready to know the rule of God in our hearts and the sufficiency of God to step in and the love of God to be all that we need. So look inside your heart. Do you, th do you think that phrase, poor in spirit, describes you? All through this series, when we see what God asks of us, I, th I think you'll say, Lord, I see it's beautiful. But you know I can't get there without you. And when we are poor in spirit, we are going to hear God say, blessed are you. The rule of God is going to be seen in your life. May it be. May it be. Uh, second phrase, just to show it to you. Blessed are those who mourn. They will be comforted. Happy are those who mourn. That doesn't make any sense until you see it this way. You recognize our own dependency. I can't get there myself. But then we mourn because we see the effect of our lives on those around us. We've harmed the image of God in ourselves. We're not living the way God made us to live. So we have this repentance, this sorrow before God. But we see the impact that our lives is having on those around us. And we mourn because of it. You see, when we own that inside of our own inner beings there are things that are not right and that we can't get there ourselves, instead of us saying, well, of course, I'm human and that's just the way we all are, if we truly mourn what has been lost when we've walked away from God, then we're ready to receive His comfort in which He turns to us and said, I've known it all along. I've been ready to receive you all along. If you'll just bring it to me, I will receive it. And I will give you the comfort of saying to you, Whatever is in your life, I am ready to cast it as far as east is from the west. That each time we confess our sins, He will be faithful and just. Forgive them. 1 John 1, nine, Cleanse us. I love that. Anybody else love Cleanse us from all that is not right in our lives. And when we mourn, when we see this world, this beautiful world that God made, being harmed by this ever-escalating evil that is in our world, we see the children in our community unable to finish school. We see them sometimes trapped in a way of life involving drugs and gangs. When we see people unable to find a place to live or a home to, to go to or enough food to eat, 
we will say that I mourn the effects of the evil in this world. And that's what's going to motivate you and me to live the lives that Jesus lived, reaching out in compassion and whatever he gives us uh, to show people that God is there and he cares. Blessed are they who mourn. When we mourn, we're ready to repent of our sins and to seek God's righteousness. When we mourn the evil in our world, we're ready to reach out with whatever God has given to bring his justice and his compassion in his name. And then the third phrase, I I just want to show you, look inside yourself as as you look at that one. Are there things that you should be mourning today? Are there things that you should be mourning? Will you give those to the Lord? And third, blessed are the meek. The meek will inherit the earth. Now I'm telling you, this is not what the books at the bookstore are going to teach you. They're going to say, go to a a self-assertiveness training course. Not go and learn how to be meek in order to inherit the earth. I mean, the, the thought that we have is, how can we become personally prosperous in the way the world tells us to do it? Don't let anybody walk all over you. And yet here's the one who has changed the world more than anybody else in all of history, saying that it really starts when we are meek. What on earth is it talking about? It's hard to define meekness, but I know this for sure. Meekness in the Bible is not weakness. Because Moses is called meek and Jesus is called meek. And they were not weak people. It's a a recognition that God has given us so much. and, And we have so much influence on those around us. Even if we think I don't have a place of authority, we can have influence by simply irritating those people who are in authority over us. I mean, our lives affect people around us every day. And meekness is using that, those opportunities and whatever authority or influence God has given us, not for our own benefit, but prayerfully, with controlled strength. That's the way I think of meekness. Controlled strength, doing what Jesus did. Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Looking to the interests of others as greater than our own. But, but it starts inside. We don't have that, I have the right to have this mentality. We don't have this, I'm always the victim of everybody else mentality. We have the mentality of Jesus that in whatever situation I am in, I'm going to use that opportunity to bring God's blessing and God's approval. So there's my message to you. This life that we're going to see all through the fall, where light breaks in, We don't have to do as I did in that coal mine and feel my way around feeling dizzy and saying, where do we go from here? This makes no sense. Light breaks into the world and Jesus is ready to come into our lives. It happens when, as he talks about at the beginning of this sermon and again at the end of chapter 7, he'll talk about it when the rule of God is surrendered to. When we do the opposite of what Tom Smith did, (laughs) that when God breaks in and he says, I want you to do this, we say, ah. My life is yours. Your ways are higher than mine and they are always better. Lord, here is my life. I will follow you. It begins on the inside. I know we can try to cover things up and try to just work on the outside actions, but it's not going to last very long. We're, we're going to see that there was a group in Jesus' days who tried to do that, the Pharisees. They worked so hard to keep all of the laws absolutely perfectly. And then Jesus comes in this sermon. He says, I just want you to know this. Your righteousness has to be greater than theirs. I just thought, what is he talking about? 
it's because even for the Pharisees, just working it on the outside isn't going to last very long. And at the end of the day, do you remember what he called them? He said, you're whitewashed walls. The inside haven't been dealt with yet, and you're just trying to cover up the outside. So, and, and don't we try to do that? We, we try to cover up those things deep inside of our hearts that we know aren't right. And Jesus says sometimes we just have to open up that inner part of our beings to God. I was talking with Dave Rump. He's one of our ministry council leaders, a tremendous man of prayer. And he said what you're really talking about is truth sets free. It's when we, we acknowledge who we are and what we are. Truth just sets free. When nobody can have anything against this if the truth is already out there, right? And he says what we all need, all of us need to be found out. Those parts we try to hide, even from people close to us, we need to just be found out so that God can deal with us in, in truthfulness and transparency and honesty. And one of the things I just want to say to you is God's already found us out. He already knows us. He wants us to have the honesty and humility to be poor in spirit and open up our insides. And you know what we find? He's ready to welcome us. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, something that you just didn't want to tell someone, your spouse, your, your child, your, your parent about. And when you opened up that part, I hope you've experienced this, that you found that instead of rejecting you, they forgave you and welcomed you. You know that's what a church is supposed to be. It's, amen. It's where we, we don't hide these things from God or from one another. We, we open them up and we, we, we grow together. And, and, and when we do, we are ready to receive the rule of God in our lives. It starts on the inside. May I show you again. Look inside your heart. Are you poor in spirit? I pray that you'll acknowledge today, either yet again or for the first time, your utter dependence on God. Tell Him how desperately you need His forgiveness and His remaking. I pray that in looking at, at the things that are real, that are ugly, that are there so many times, that there will be a true mourning. Blessing comes to those who mourn our own sin. I think sometimes we don't know the comfort of God because we never learned how to mourn how our sin has kept us from Him. And I think that when we mourn our own sin and see the impact of it, then without pride we go out into the world, offer hope to the world, and when we can reach out and have resources provided by God to bring blessing to people in the world, God uses us to do that. And blessed are those who are meek, which truly is a turning from living for myself and a commitment to use whatever God entrusts to me to serve and bring His blessing to the world. Closing words as the orchestra comes to lead us in a wonderful song. I'm just so sure that even though we're churchgoers, that almost all of us have things inside of our beings that we never want anyone to know about. But we know, and I hope you see from God's word, those, those need to be given to him. They need to be cleaned up. And God turns to people just like us and says that God's blessing 
God's approval is available not to the whitewashed wall, but to the poor in spirit and to the one who mourns and to the one who is meek. I just want you to know that just like when I was in that that mind shaft in the darkness, that light is ready to break into our hearts and into our lives and then through our lives. We're going to be seeing it. He turns us from what we are into lights in this world. I just want us to surrender again to the rule of God in our lives. And when we turn everything over to Him, I want you to hear what Jesus said to those disciples. Blessed are you. And you, and you, and you, and you. So that we can live to His glory. Amen. Amen. Let me lead us in prayer and then we'll sing a song, Jeremy. Father, I pray I've been faithful to this, this Your Word. I pray that You would use these verses in our lives as You have done in the lives of countless followers of Jesus throughout the centuries and all over the world. I pray that we here at Lake Avenue Church, as we read these words of Jesus, will never be whitewashed walls, but people made clean by You from the inside to the out. That, Father, we might know Your joy, Your approval, and we might bring Your blessing to our world. In the name of Jesus. Amen.